Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Today is the Bob and Richard Answer Their Mailbag show. We look for questions sent to gamblingwithanedge at gmail.com or sometimes a Twitter feed or sometimes our personal emails. Uh, we're running low on questions, so send them in and we'll get them on future shows. Our first show, first question. I use high-low and primarily like to play double deck. Looking for a suggestion is the best way to calculate true count. Some set of have divide by a quarter deck or a half deck, and some say multiply instead. Richard, he wants your suggestions. <laughs> well, uh, you can do either one. It just depends on what you know is easier for you. Um, you know, uh, with double deck, you know, halfway through your your running count is your true count because you're at a a one deck level. So uh, I and and not many places deal more than one deck out of two on a double deck. So I don't think you need to worry about quarter decks. I mean, maybe I would think about when there's one and a half decks left and then when you're getting closer to one deck. And, you know, if you're at all close to a number, uh, most importantly is your strategy changes. I would lean toward playing the basic strategy play over the index play. If you're at all close, just play basic strategy. And in, in my particular case, if, it, if it's close to whether to, um, you know, what number, if you're at a true three or a true four, I personally, I lean toward betting more and changing my playing strategy less. Okay. Next question. I've always been intrigued by some of your programs on slot machine players and wanted your opinion on the course offered by Peter Liston. I'm sure if I wanted to put in the time, I could figure out a lot of it on my own, but I've access to a lot of data from the machines, and I think it could be worth it to take a course and maybe to build up my network. My question to you is it would you take the course if you were looking for a few advantage plays but not wanting to make a living doing it? Or would you do some more homework and possibly find a teacher a little closer to home? You want to go first? or? Yeah. Um, first of all, I think Peter Liston's on the level. Uh, we generally... We generally try to avoid touts, and if somebody's been on the show more than once, then you can bet that Richard and I do not think they're touts. Um, Peter's play mostly are the machines he finds in Australia. And if you're playing in Australia, that would be fine. If you're looking for U.S. games, that's probably a small part of his course. Uh, but were I interested in slot hustling, yes, the few thousand dollars he charges would be a, well worth it, a, uh, a good source of information. 
but I would not let that be my only source. Richard? Um, my, my answer is I don't know. I don't have enough information. Um, in the case of to compare it to, say, Blackjack Boot Camp, I know uh, or I've spoken to many people that have taken the course and come back and said that they thought it was great and, and worthwhile. I don't know anybody who's taken Peter's course, so I don't really and, – and I don't really know what he covers. Um, it sounds like the vast majority of what he plays is must-hit-by, so I'm – and again, this is just guessing because I don't know, but I'm guessing – Basically, what he teaches is how to calculate must-hit-by machines so that you know when you have an edge and when you don't. But um, I don't know what else he teaches. So, um, yeah, so I, I just don't have enough information to know how good his course is. And you might send him an email asking him for the kind of an outline of the course of what it is that he will teach and see if that coincides with what it is that you want to learn. Next question. I'm hoping to play some good video poker when I come to Vegas next week and would like three of your favorite video poker bars, gaming bars or lounges, not casinos. I've been away from Vegas gaming bars for a while and would like to get back into the scene. I respect your opinions greatly. Well, although you phrase it politely, I heard this as you asking me to tell you my three best plays, including the ones I keep secret so I can milk them some more, so you don't have to go through the effort of scouting yourself. This is something I'm just not interested in doing. Richard, perhaps you have some secret games you'd like to share. Well, I, I don't know uh, that that's what he's asking um, because you know if you're if if you're just looking for uh, money making plays, I wouldn't think the place you'd be looking for is bars. <laughs> um, but uh, and because I don't you know play video poker, uh, you know I would have no idea. But uh, you if if it's not strictly money making. You know, I would look at the Las Vegas Advisors stuff because uh, Anthony Curtis talks a lot about uh, Crown and Anchor, which I know he likes. Um, there, on the last episode with Frank B, there was a recommended of a place that had tacos in the name. It was somewhere at like Sahara and Maryland Parkway that um, they thought was great. But these are mainly great because they like the uh, atmosphere and there are good deals on food. And, you know, if you put a $20 bill in the machine, you're getting to eat and drink for free, basically. Um, so, yeah, I would check some of those um, Las Vegas advisor recommendations. And, uh, and I don't think it's any secret, Bob, that you've talked about playing at the bars uh, Dotties a lot. You've talked about that often. So um, there's always that. Yeah, Dotties, I, I still play at Dotties, but Dotties is not for visitors. To get value out of Dotties, you need the mailers and you need the um, the W2G promotions. So if you're just coming in from out of town, uh, the best game they have is 9-6 jacks with a .15 slot club. And 
and that's that's not a that's not a, a money making play without oh. the. Yeah, I was going to say also on Las Vegas Advisor. Um, at some point, I know Anthony was putting up uh, sign up bonuses. You know, so there might be a couple of hundred bucks to be made running around to bars doing the sign up bonuses at, for their video poker clubs. All right, next question. I noticed that Indian casinos never open up new card decks face up in front of the players or examine the decks on the table before shuffling like they do in Nevada casinos. I noticed the pit bosses open what seem to be unsealed decks and quick, quickly finger through them before sticking them in the shuffle master machine. I questioned many and they either shoulder shrug or say it saves time. Nobody, even the dealers, know if the decks are true. Let me finally get to my question. Do you think Indian casinos remove tens or aces from the decks? Is this possible because they're on a reservation following their own rules? I was just wondering if there's any been any similar question by any of the higher-ups in the blackjack world. Richard. So uh, I wouldn't say at all that all Indian casinos do this. This sounds like something that's um, typical of your local uh, places if you live near some. Um, but anyway, in your market, okay, that's what they're doing. Is it possible? Sure. Uh, is it likely? I doubt it. Um, first of all, it's usually very, very obvious when a casino does this. Because you count down a shoe and you get to the cut card and it's always plus 20. Um, and you see that happen a few shoes in the row and then you, you know, you realize that, that this is what they've done. Um, but, you know, I would not have a big concern about this because I think the word would spread very quickly if an Indian casino or if any casino was doing that. So, uh, you know, that is not the way uh, casinos cheat these days. Um, the way they cheat these days is they just don't pay you. Um, so they, you know, steal your money. Um, so I wouldn't worry about tens and aces uh, being removed from the shoe. But you said the word would spread. It sounds to me like the word would spread among players that the casino doesn't want anyway. And their bread and butter players would not be in the loop for spreading of that information. Well, I think, you know, it would get to the players would want that to get to the media as quickly as possible or to try to file a lawsuit if there was a way. I mean, 20 some years ago, I remember it was suspected that a casino, a way off strip casino was doing this. And, um, you know, there was a big coalition put together of of we literally were uh thinking about um filming the shoe and then stealing the discards and running out the door to be able to prove it to document it um you know this is the same case where you know because people always say a casino would get shut down if they cheated in nevada doing this and and which is just absurd they would never uh, shut down one of these casinos for cheating in Las Vegas. Um, but this, at the time, I was doing 
shows for the Travel Channel, and we were doing a show where we were interviewing um, the head of gaming enforcement. And while we were there for the interview, without the cameras rolling, the one of the other producers said uh, to the head of gaming enforcement, hey, uh, you know, there's this rumor that this casino is removing tens and aces from the shoe, and, and, you know, what would happen if they were doing that? And his response was, oh, we would take this very, very seriously. He said the first thing we would do is write them a letter about it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that'll do a lot. (laughs) You'll you'll nab them that way. So they wouldn't confiscate a shoe. They'd write a letter first. Yeah, tell they'd write a letter first. And then maybe tell them, you know, we're going to come Saturday at 7 o'clock and check. And, you know. All right. Next question. With the proliferation of casinos across the country, it doesn't seem like playing conditions are getting any better for the gambler. They're actually getting worse. I'm interested in your thoughts. And you're right. It's a cat and mouse game between the players and the casinos. Players are becoming more knowledgeable about the game, thanks in part to this show and writing of various people, including me. So casinos have had to tighten up to maintain their profit margin. The best players are very responsive to how loose the games are. The average player, for the most part, isn't so responsive. APs generally prosper on various kinds of mistakes and loopholes. If a casino identifies those, the casino will fix the mistake and close the loophole. There are still advantageous plays out there, but they require a great bit of knowledge and scouting to find. Richard. Yeah, I mean, to be a professional gambler, you have to constantly adapt because what worked five years ago isn't going to work today. And the people that are successful are the people that find new ways to gain an advantage. Um, you know, in the future, will there be advantage play? I, I'm optimistic. I mean, uh, I started playing in 1977, and every single year I have heard people say, Blackjack is dead. You know, it's over. You can't make a living anymore playing Blackjack. And every year basically got better. Uh, maybe not for the straight card counter. Uh, blackjack players move on to adding other games and other techniques to their repertoire if they're gonna if they're gonna stay in it. And um, you know that's why that is why uh, people ask us all the time to talk about slot machine plays. And other than to say that they exist and that people are doing it, you know we don't get into the specifics just because then they will get ruined and taken out. Next question. I'm trying to perfect my Deuces Wild play, primarily but not exclusively NSU. While I don't want to ask for any secrets that would devalue the proposition of attending your course in person, can you explain how to know when to consider penalty cards, specifically straight penalty cards, when determining which to discard? Well, in general, a penalty card is one that affects the value of the cards in one or more of the combinations that you're considering holding. For example, in NSU, uh, when you're considering holding a deuce along with a suited 4-5, if the other two cards are an ace-8, you hold the deuce 4-5. If they're an ace-7, you just hold the deuce. 
The answer to the question of when these are important is not simple to explain. The answer is basically whenever it makes a difference or sometimes whenever it makes a difference more than a penny or more than two pennies. Um, the Dancer Daily Winner's Guide to NSU Deuces Wild is less than 20 bucks and takes about 60 pages explaining all of the penalty cards for that game. It's just far too complicated to handle in less than a minute on a podcast. Next question. A casino is giving me a free hotel night comp and free play. If I never use a hotel comp, will the casino uh, increase my free play? My answer is most casinos won't do that. Hotel comps are soft, meaning that if they have unfilled room, it's not very expensive for a casino to give you a free room. Free play is very um, similar to cash and value. With that said, if you have a good host and you're considered a valuable customer at the casino, which means they think you lose a lot, uh, then you can ask. The answer will pr probably be no, but uh, you don't know until you ask. Richard, yeah. have you ever tried this? Um no, because usually the, the casino wants you to be staying there. So to refuse the room means you're staying at maybe some other casino. So, um, But as Bob said, th this is a comp. The room doesn't cost them anything to give you other than, you know, to have a maid clean it or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I have not had any experience with that. Now, things have changed a lot over the years, but, you know, 20 years ago – I would stay in a room and what I was mostly interested in was cash airfare reimbursement. So I would take their free room. I would tell them I don't want a suite. I just want to – I actually would tell them I want a handicap room because that would sound like I had a reason for not wanting the suite. And um, uh, so then on the end of my trip, when I went to ask for airfare reimbursement, which again is just cash in your hand, um, I would be able and, – and I would not go eat on the comp. So the only thing that I had used was their free room. And then at the end of the trip, when I went to get my airfare reimbursement, I would say, look, you know, I didn't eat anywhere. I didn't use any comps at all, you know. I, I'm, but I, I'd like to get my airfare reimbursed, and I, it was a stronger argument than if I had, you know, gone and had dinner with six people in the gourmet room and run up a thousand dollar bill. Okay, next question. I'm going to let Richard handle first. Said if I were to buy into blackjack for say two thousand, lose it. Buy in for another two thousand, lose it, and then start playing with fifteen thousand dollars from a chip bank. And let's say I lose all of that. Does that generate a CTR? Shouldn't, since there's only four thousand cash involved. Correct. Correct. Yeah. No, that would not generate a CTR. Uh, it would look very weird to the pit, though. If you have fifteen thousand dollars in chips, why are you buying in with cash first? So. Um, if I were going to play that way, I would do the reverse. I would use the chips first, and and if you run out of chips, then I would start buying in. But but your question, no, it does not generate a CTR. 
And for video poker, CTRs are no big deal. Uh, and if you play that big, you've hit W2G, so they already know your name and address. Uh, so, and the government doesn't really care about CTRs. Well, and but, also on video poker, you can feed 10,000 coin in into the machine in cash, and it won't lock up and give you a CTR, right? I mean, they don't count cash into a machine as nobody counts that. Correct. Although um, most machines, well, it depends on the casino. Many machines won't uh, take that much in cash. But um, You mean even over they, a period of time? If you put in a thousand of time, at a time course. and but in in the larger casinos today if you, if you're going to play a lot it's just a whole lot easier just to give them 10 or 15,000 and and have them give you tickets of you know, either put it on the machine directly or give you tickets of 5,000 each or some such which is a whole lot easier than feeding in $100 bills but um but this is for people who are not trying to disguise their ID. Uh, people, most people who are trying to disguise their ID do, do not play video poker for stakes where they're going to get a W2G. All right, next question. When I refuse a player's card, some casinos then ask for my driver's license. How should I respond to that? I'm well over 21, and it's not for my age. As Nancy Reagan said, just say no. <laughs> just tell them, sorry, don't, I don't have it. I left it in the car. Whatever. No thanks. And then you may have, by the way, this is something, uh, you, it's a trope you will hear a lot in casinos. There, there are idiots who will say, it's illegal not to have an ID in a casino, and that's just total bullshit. It's not true at all. So, But whether it is true or not, the fact if a shift boss believes it, then they can say, well, you can't play here then. Oh, of course. Yeah, and, and I mean often when they ask for your ID, it means you may have heat already anyway. And it's time to just get up and leave. Okay, a continued question from that same player. When refusing a player's card, sometimes they will ask me for my name to punch it into their pit. I usually go with something like Mickey or Donald. If they press the issue for a full name or keep bugging me, I say Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck. Then I tend to get bold with them is they don't have much of a fuse for the games they play. I remember an old episode with Bob Narcessian where he said there's nowhere in the country that you have to provide your name just for being there. Or is it okay to just give them a made-up name altogether and play it off? As long as you don't have to show ID for anything, they will be none the wiser, correct? Yeah, no, that's fine, but I would not go with Mickey or Donald because you want as generic a name as possible. So, you know, John, um, Bob, you know, and um, 
Yeah, just give them a really generic name. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be a smartass about it. I wouldn't say John Smith or John Doe, you know, um, make it generic, but not make it obvious that you're just screwing with them. And when Bob Nersessian said there's no place that you have to show ID, there are now places that you have to show ID to get in the door. And if you do not have ID at the door, you do not get in. So that is an update to what Nersessian said. Well, I think what Bob Nersessian meant is there's no law that says you have to show ID or carry ID. So that's when to get into those casinos, it's not a law. It's just the policy of that particular casino. And, you know, many players just end up not playing in those casinos at all. Okay, we're going to take one more question before we do a commercial break. And this is, why did you get rid of the quirky announcer guy at the beginning of each podcast? I like the sound of the winning money cashing noises and the way he said, and now here are Bob and Richard. That was created when we had a radio podcast on KLAS, 12.30 a.m. in Las Vegas. This was created back when I started the podcast with Frank Nealon, before Richard became involved. The announcer picked the Pink Floyd song, Money, to go with the background, and it's that music that you hear. I forgot the announcer's name, but he was indeed a quirky guy. His voice was about an octave lower than anyone else's, and he had a second job as the bass singer for a 50s doo-wop band, similar to Sha Na Na. So he wore his hair long and swept back pretty much like Elvis. I liked him. I actually don't know why we pulled that from the um, start of our show, and that decision was Richard. So, Richard, why'd you do it? Uh, well, I unfortunately, the only audio we had of that it was married to the pink floyd music right i didn't have the voice separate from the music and um uh I, we started having copyright problems on youtube um and so rather than deal with it uh, because of the pink floyd song i just cut it so uh, i guess i could go find some generic music but i don't know uh for now, there's just, you know, good afternoon <laughs> coming from Bob Dancer. <laughs> so that's the reason it's all Richard's fault. The South Point has more than 10,000 gains returning more than 99%. This is more than anyone else has. Um, in June, the promotion is the $500,000 spin to win promotion for each $2,000 coin in. Limit four per person per day, Monday through Thursday. You receive a virtual spin right at your machine, earning free play or points. So far this year, the average spin has been worth about $10 for $2,000 coin in. Hey guys, this is Colin from blackjackapprenticeship.com. And if you're serious about card counting, I'd encourage you to check out the Blackjack Apprenticeship membership. 
It has the training tools you'll need to beat the game, like our comprehensive video course and our training suite, so you can learn each skill and virtually test yourself before ever stepping foot in a casino. It also includes the tools you'll need to succeed, like our pro betting software, casino database, results tracking software, and access to a community of like-minded advantage players to network with in our members forum and chat room software. You can find out more at blackjackapprenticeship.com. At videopoker.com, it's the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the game. The game of the week is Bonus Streak Ultimate X. This is a 10 coin per line game, uh, as all Ultimate X are. And in, as in other Ultimate X games, you earn multipliers on this hand to be played off next hand. Compared to regular Ultimate X, the multipliers in the Bonus Streak version are much harder to get. You typically need three of a kind rather than a pair of jacks. But when you get them, you get them for several hands in a row. The Wizard of Oz has worked out and published a strategy for the 8-6 jacks or better 10-play version of this game. This is a generous gift to the player community. The game, however, only returns 98.74% when played perfectly and 98.65% using the Wizard's simplified strategy. Except for highly unusual slot clubs and promotion, this is way too low for profitable play. I don't blame the wizard for picking out a low-paying game to analyze. This is one of the higher-paying games on that particular version of video poker. We're going back to our questions. I was playing dollar ten play deuces wild, and got a dealt royal with deuces for a $1,250 W2G payment. My question is why they withhold taxes on the entire $1,250 and not just the winning part of $1,200. I don't itemize taxes, so I'm forced to pay tax on the $50 that was my initial bet. A lot of players have been asking that question for a long time. The answer seems to be, well, that's the way the law is. Years ago, for about six months, the Orleans Casino in Las Vegas would not issue WTGs for jackpots of exactly $1,200, just for the reason you state. They had dollar triple play, 10-7 double bonus at the time, which is very popular with strong players, especially on double point days. And you'd get this jackpot on dealt twos, threes, and fours. This only comes about every 18,000 hands or so, but there were a lot of machines and they were busy, so you saw it happening every day. We appreciated this. In the mid-90s, the Frontier in Las Vegas had a sign in the high limit room that any $1,250 jackpots could be played out at $1,195 at the player's option. That lasted for quite a while until eventually they were forced to take it down. Um, I know it seems unfair that you have to pay taxes on the extra $50, but keep in mind that when you receive dealt quints for $600 to $800, depending on the pay schedule, in that very same game, that's a taxable event as well. And the vast majority of players do not report that. Do you have anything to add, Richard? All right. 
here's somebody who wants to take a shot at blackjack. On a high count, big bet out there, I'm dealt a pair of fives. The extra money goes out, and the dealer, without asking for a hand signal, deals one card sideways, a six. Would it have been worth saying I wanted a split, even if it's my local casino and has been very tolerant towards me counting there? Any words of wisdom on places, situation, and or times to do this? Never. No. I mean, what you're doing is called taking a shot, and it will get you labeled as a shot taker, and it's a bad shot. I mean, nobody – they know nobody is going to split their fives in that situation. Um I mean, especially you're a known player, it's your local casino, they, they know you're just taking a shot and it's not worth it. because It could get you thrown out, it, it, it will get you seriously disliked by the pit, which is not a good thing. So, no, I, I would just never do that. Okay. Same player says... I remember Richard mentioning something to the effect that you should be tucking a 22 every hour or so. The same local casino as mentioned above has a policy of shuffling if there is a tucked bust. Would you tuck 22s only on a negative count or the outcome is either win push at 22 or getting a free shuffle? Stick to around one an hour looking for the best spot of a lot of cards regardless of the count or some combination of the two? Richard. Um, I, boy, I don't remember saying that about tucking a 22 once an hour, but uh, maybe I did. I don't remember hearing it. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think what – so, first of all, to answer your question, I would not do that specifically to force a shuffle. Forcing away a negative deck is, is just not worth – that much. I mean, you could just get up from the table and move to a different one. Also, I'm, I think we're talking about a double deck here because I don't know of any face down shoe game left. Maybe there's some left in America somewhere, but uh, so you can't tuck uh, a face up game. So for a double deck to get it shuffled a, a, hand, a few hands early, it, it's just not worthwhile at all. What I think I may have been talking about is. Um, when playing against a whole card, when specifically when you know that the dealer has 18 and you have 17, it's, it's a 25% play to hit a hard 17 against a known 18. Uh, now, I would not do this with 10-7, but if I had a three-card hard 17 and specifically caught a five, I would tuck that because A, the dealer may, you know, miss it and pay me, and B, it's very plausible when they go, you have 22, for me to make, to say, oh, I thought I had 21, right? I mean, that's, it, it does not look like you're taking a shot if, if they can convincingly believe that you thought you had 21. Um, and usually when you, you know, catch a five and tuck the hand right away, right, it's it's what people do when they have 16. So maybe that's what I was talking about. Um, but
but any again, just to get them to shuffle the cards, no, I would not do that. All right. New question. With the revocation of face masks, face mask mandates, do you think it's worth trying to continue to wear a mask and act afraid of COVID, even if no one around you in the casino is wearing one? I feel like it may bring more heat than the cover of a mask is worth. Does being a relatively unknown non-database player change things in either direction? Richard. Um, you know, most of the people that I'm hearing are saying they will wear the masks as long as they feel that it's not a detriment, right? At some point, it will change where it'll look weird to wear a mask. Um, you know, but as long as you can get away with it, um, I, I would definitely keep doing it. Um, once it starts to look weird, you know, at some point I think they'll go, the only people wearing masks are the card counters or the, you know, professional players. So, um, so I would absolutely continue to do it as long as, as it looked acceptable. All right. The other day I was playing with a dealer that was really good and quick with his hands and doing theatrical tricks with the cards as he dealt them to players. I was using halves all day and my brain was getting fried, so I went to color up 6,000 in black. Well, I counted the chips over twice, and when I pushed them in, the dealer restacked them, and suddenly there was only 5,500. I think he did some sleight of hand and pushed five blacks into his dealer tray but there's a small chance I miscounted because I was so tired. Anyways, now I'm paranoid that when playing with so much money, a disgruntled dealer upset that I'm counting and not tipping them will try to steal money from me. It doesn't take much to take my edge away. Do you have any advice? Now, back when I was playing blackjack almost 30 years ago, whenever I came across an accomplished dealer like that, I would leave the table quickly why take the risk richard yeah uh, um what you're saying could happen but i mean the dealer doesn't benefit it's one thing if the dealer could steal the money for himself but to just give it to the casino i, I mean i guess it is possible you could have a spiteful dealer that that would do that because he's pissed off um that same kind of dealer could do things like push when you have a winning hand and if you're not on top of adding it up and making sure he's paying you correctly. Um, but I, I think the chance of this happening is very rare. And I would also say this, a dealer who's a really accomplished mechanic is not going to be flashy at all. He is going to be the opposite. He, he is going to look as pedestrian as he possibly can. So... Um, you know, can it happen? Yes. Do you have to be vigilant? Yes. But, um, you know, I would you, – you don't want to make yourself crazy, right, being paranoid every time you sit down to play that somebody is trying to steal from you. If it, if it were to happen, I think it would be a very, very rare thing. All right. Hi. I have a question regarding high-stakes blackjack play. I'm a part-time card counter that uses the halves count, and for most of my counting career, 
I've been red chipping at lower stakes play with a two times $100 max bet. I took about a year and a half off and got a second job delivering pizzas on top of my full-time job and managed to save up to $150,000 bankroll. Well, uh, now I, with such a bankroll, I'm doing two times 500 as a top bet with minimal risk. The only issue is I'm so paranoid about keeping track of all my cash and chips since I can easily carry 20 to 30 grand on me at one time. And I found it to be so much added stress. Richard, any advice? Well, I mean, you're right. It, it is added stress when you have to carry around large amounts of money, not, not just, you know, losing something, something falling out of your pocket, but also you have to be very careful to make sure, you know, you're not robbed, that nobody follows you out of a casino. Uh, I, I don't know how to get around that. Um, you know, eventually, you, uh, unfortunately, you kind of get used to it and maybe get too lax carrying large amounts of money. Um, yeah, but I, I don't really have a, a way to relieve your stress. Maybe try meditation. Yeah, or maybe just don't play so high. Yeah, yeah, there's that too. So, all right. So right now, our mailbag is totally empty. So for the next time we're going to do this, folks, you're going to have to start sending us in some questions. So at the end of our show... We have a recommended. Richard, do you have one of, for our listeners today? Um, yeah. Um, I, I happen to, you know, when I'm uh, having my morning coffee, eating my breakfast, I sometimes do crossword puzzles. And I was doing a crossword puzzle, and um, a clue came up about a book by uh, James Clavell. And uh, it just reminded me how much I liked him as a writer. So um, he wrote uh, Shogun. Shogun. What? Yeah, I was saying he wrote Shogun. Yeah, Shogun and Taipan and uh, King Rat. Um, And so anyway, uh, it made me want to go back. I I particularly like when books are really well written, I like them to be really thick uh, because I want it to last a long time. And uh, and so his books, Shogun and Taipan, are uh, and yeah. So I plan to go back and reread him. Uh, he, so if you haven't read any of his books, I highly recommend him. His name is James Clavell. I agree with that one. I uh, I read all his books way back when. He's been dead for a few decades, and his Shogun book took place many hundreds of years ago and uh in japan back when uh englishmen were first coming into china and uh first coming into japan it's it's quite a fascinating uh story my uh mine isn't quite so long ago but I just watched the Ken Burns documentary on Mark Twain. This originally came out in 2002 on PBS, and I missed it then. 
and it's now on Canopy, which is a free streaming service if you have a library card. And I find myself enjoying it. It's uh, it's only three hours long, maybe four, so it doesn't take too long to uh, listen to. But Mark Twain was a fascinating guy, and I've enjoyed a lot of his work. So, so I found that really interesting. My only complaint about Canopy is I like the speed of 1.25 when I listen to these shows on when I'm streaming. I can still hear all the words, and it doesn't take nearly as long to listen to. Well, Canopy, you can't do that. You can do it at normal speed, or the next one up is 1.5, which is pretty fast. So uh, I would I would have preferred it if Canopy has a 1.25, but they don't. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks, all of our listeners, for sending in the question. And thank you, Richard. Go out and hit lots of royal flushes, everybody. Good day.